Welcome to the Unteachables podcast. I'm your host, Claire, and I am absolutely no stranger to the challenges and let's face it, sometimes carnage of being a teacher. And if you found yourself here listening with me, I'd say that you might know a bit about that as well, because being a teacher is freaking hard. And this podcast is dedicated to making you feel a hell of a lot less alone, whilst giving you the knowledge, support and strategies that you need to not just survive the chaos of being a teacher, but truly thrive. Think about it as getting a weekly dose of relatable, actionable, and most importantly, enjoyable professional learning straight into your ears. So hit the subscribe button, download me for your commute, and let's get into it. Hello, everyone. If you haven't listened before, I'm Claire, and this is the Unteachables podcast. Every week, I bring you something like a little bit of a golden nugget to take into the classroom to help you out, to make classroom management a little bit less daunting, a little bit less mystifying, and just to give you the support that everyone deserves when it comes to classroom management, because behavior is freaking tough. I hope your week's been pretty good. Uh, It's nearing the end of the year, so it gets a little bit harder with behavior, especially um, everyone's energy starts to wane. I know that when I was in Australia, that's obviously the end of the academic year, which makes it really tough. But then here in London, it's difficult for different reasons. Like the, the weather starts to change change, everyone's energy shifts. So wherever you are in the world at the moment, I hope you're giving yourself lots of grace and lots of kindness, and I'm sure you're doing a brilliant job. Um, This week has been wild. Those of you who don't know, I'm in the process of making the big move back from London to, we're actually going to New Zealand to live for a short time, but we're kind of traveling around because we have to send all of our stuff back on a ship. It takes months to get back. So from London to New Zealand, it'll take like two, three months to get back. So we're taking a four month trip around Europe and uh, that in itself planning for that with a one and a half year old. She'll be at the time thinking about all the little bits and bobs that you don't think about when you're just a solo traveler or traveling with your partner. So it's been, um, yeah, a wild week trying to tie up all the loose ends, but everything's planned. We've got the last flights booked in, which is the the long leg between London and Singapore and then Singapore back to, um, to Auckland. So I feel a lot lighter after that's been planned. A lot of life admin trying to organize that. Uh, So yeah, if you are in New Zealand, feel free to reach out. I'll be looking for not work in schools necessarily. I'd like to do a little bit of um, casual teaching if I can in New Zealand just to kind of get a sense of the school system. But it'd just be really nice to make some connections and uh, yeah, have a, a coffee with a fellow teacher and check out some schools and maybe do a little bit of work um, with some teams. So feel free to reach out and say hello. Anyway, so this week I was really reflecting on right back at the start of my teaching career. And one of the things that I was thinking about is how I just didn't like, honestly, classroom management baffled me. It was just I just didn't understand what was going on because I had two classes and I talk about this in my book, actually, in one of the opening um, parts of a, um, a chapter, but I had these two classes. One was supposed to be the top English class and the other one was was the lowest kind of 
hate the whole idea of bottom and top classes and uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I had one of the most challenging year eight classes and then this top academic year 10 class. And you go in with these perceptions of what it's going to be like. And, you know, I was in my second year of teaching. I was kind of trying to find my feet still. I was a bit more confident. You know, I was, I was starting to find myself in my, in my teaching persona and all the rest of it, obviously still very fresh, but I was so excited for this year 10 class. I'm like, sweet. It was a challenging context that I was working in and I got the top year 10 class. I was going to be teaching Shakespeare. I was going to be, you know, talking about poetry. I was going to be doing all the things that I got into teaching to do, which is what I'm, I'm so passionate about English. I was so excited for it. And the eight class, I was like a very, obviously there was a lot of trepidation around that. I was really nervous. I didn't have really great classroom management skills still. So that's why I was obviously really excited about the year 10 class, because if they're the academic class, it's not going be any behavior issues. I'm not going to have to deal with the same kinds of things as I would be with the year A class. And that proved to be completely wrong. At the beginning, that was exactly what it was like. The year 10 class was brilliant. It was really nice. I went in there. We had some really nice discussions, you know, like it was, it was quite lovely to be in that class. And the A class, it was chaotic. It was exactly how I expected it to be. But then throughout the term, things started to shift and I just didn't know what the hell was happening. But the year eight class, I didn't even realize it until I reflected and gone, oh my God, like what's happened here? Because I felt in myself going into the year eight class, oh, like, thank God I've got this class. And then leading into the year 10 class, especially at the end of the day, I felt nervous. I didn't want to go in there. I felt really drained. I'd leave the class feeling really frustrated and angry. And I just didn't know what had happened. I was thinking this is supposed to be the top class and the year eight class. This is supposed to be like the really challenging students. And there was like notorious characters in that class. I just didn't know what happened. But what was happening now that I can look with hindsight and reflection, what was happening was that I was treating them differently. I just didn't know what was leading me to do that or what I was doing differently. But what was happening is that with the year 10 class, I was being more approachable. I was being more relaxed. My body language was different. I planned for them differently. The way that I set up the lesson was completely different. I didn't put as much energy into the, into the start of it. I wasn't as boundary. I wasn't doing all of those things that I was with the year eight class. With the year eight class, I was greeting them at the door. I was credible. I was standing up straight. I was slowing my movement. I was regulating myself. I did all of these things without realizing it. I had a starter activity planned because I didn't want to give them any, any give in the boundaries. Um, you know, I'd send them out row by row after cleaning up their areas. I was really not strict. I think that there's a misconception that a restorative approach is like, you know, not boundaries or really like lacking in expectations. I was incredibly boundaried with these students. I was unconsciously unskilled. I just didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And I might actually do an episode about the concept of the conscious competence ladder and as an, a concept by Noel Birch. And I just find it so useful for us as teachers to reflect on our own practice using this competency ladder, but also it's really good for our students to know about. Anyway, what I was doing was 
in that year eight class, I was doing everything to ensure a nice and calm start to the lesson. I was giving myself the best possible chance to have a lesson that was really relaxed, really chilled, really calm. I didn't know how to replicate that though. I didn't actually know that I was setting myself up for success in that way because with the year 10 class, what I was doing was the complete opposite. All of those things that I was doing around the lesson and around the class, it wasn't setting myself up for any success. But now that I'm more skilled, now that I'm consciously skilled and I'm moving into unconsciously skilled because I just, all of these things I'm just embedding into my practice unconsciously. I just do them now. They're a part of my hardwired practice. I do something called the three E's and that is what I'm going to be teaching you in this podcast episode. I want to be talking through in this podcast episode because these are the foundations for the start of a lesson that is really productive, really calm really centered and is something that we can all plan for. We can't plan for every single thing that happens that in that lesson with that young with the young people that we teach. We can't plan for every little thing. We can't mitigate all the behaviors, but this just gives us the best chance possible to be able to have a lesson that is a little bit more chilled than it would be. So if you want a calm lesson, you need a calm start. The start of a lesson just sets the tone for the entire experience in your lesson. And then obviously it significantly improves the likelihood for something that's really productive and really smooth. If it's disordered, if it's loud, if it's chaotic, we can have a lasting impact on the rest of our lesson as well. So either way, it's really important for us to focus on that first part of the lesson. To establish that right tone, there are three crucial elements that you can focus on. And I'm going to be talking through each of these in more depth. So it's energy, environment, and engagement. The best part of this is that if we have all of these things ticked off, if we're doing all of these things they're really proactive in addressing potential behaviors and potential issues before they manifest. And it minimizes the severity of those that do, because it's all about that de-escalation and regulation. So let's start with the first E, which is energy. And it's all about setting the right vibe for the lesson. It's all about modeling the energy that we want to see from our students. And it is so paramount that we do that. If we're entering a lesson, if we're frazzled, if we're stressed, if we've had a really busy morning, if we're really struggling, if we're at the end of our tether, we might be rushing around more. We might be raising our voice. And what happens is we inadvertently invite students to match our energy, whether it's positive or negative. So if we're regulated, if we're calm, all of those things, if we're feeling controlled in ourselves, if we're offering co-regulation, we're then mitigating the challenging behaviors that are stemming from dysregulation. So the things that we can do to really set the right vibe for our lesson from the get-go, making sure, and I talk about this all the time, just taking a deep breath before students come in, making sure we have the capacity, we're regulated in a way that we're able to invite students into calm rather than chaos. The next thing that's really important to set that nice calm vibe is welcoming students at the door because when we're welcoming them at the door we are then kind of I'm not saying controlling because we don't control the students but we're controlling the environment we're standing there we're saying I'm here I'm ready to invite you in I'm going to be making sure that as you greet me at the door you're meeting my calm presence and then you're walking through that presence into the classroom so even just by greeting them calmly with their names, taking that deep breath, checking in with them, seeing how they are, and then sending them in non-verbally. 
you know, with a little gesture to their desks can be the difference between all of them kind of running in at once, pushing each other out of the way and finding their seat to really making sure that you're controlling the elements you can of that lesson and making sure that what you can control is really nice and calm. That like leads on to the next thing, which is adopting a slower pace, a quieter tone and modeling the desired behaviors that you want to see. This leads like it all stems from the idea of co-regulation, but when we're slower, when we're quieter, when we're more regulated, we are then modeling what we want for the rest of our students. And this is like, it's such a magic bullet without, like there's no such thing as something that's like a light switch that's going to completely turn off behaviors. But in terms of all the low level behaviors we see, especially at the start of the lesson, if we're modeling these things for our students, we can mitigate so much of that early disruption in the lesson and set ourselves up for a really successful lesson. Um, another thing that you could potentially do if it's something that you want to give a go for, and it's something that I've done before and I really enjoy doing it. I play some music. So students kind of see that as a nonverbal cue for entering the lesson quietly or transitioning quietly because I have that calm, quiet music. And they know that when that music is playing, they're moving to a space, they're moving into a new task, they're moving into the lesson or they're moving out of a lesson, they're cleaning up. So I use that as a nonverbal cue for them to be kind of quietly doing something. doesn't mean that they're dead, dead silent. It just means that they're, um, you know, like it just sets the tone for a really nice, calm transition into the lesson or into a new task. The second E is about the environment. We need to set the stage that we want our students to walk into and then model. And the physical environment signals expectations. And if we have a classroom that is chaotic, if there's papers everywhere, if there's mess on the floor, if there's drawings on the tables, if there's water spilt everywhere, what that's saying for students is that that's the expectation in this classroom space. Even of course, you don't expect students to be throwing things around and crushing things into the carpet. But when you have a space like that, the students walk into initially and they are starting the lesson off on the wrong foot because they're going to be thinking, okay, well, this is the classroom environment and that's what I can add to. And that's why it's really important for like us to be fixing little things when they happen. So like not leaving broken furniture in the classroom, not leaving like graffiti on the walls, because when that does happen, it's like a bit of a snowball effect. And then it kind of reinforces the expectations that we have of our space. I know this is so much easier said than done, especially for secondary teachers who don't have their own classroom space. So I've had situations where I've been running from one side of the school to another, like the other side of the school. And it's very hard to walk into somebody else's classroom when there's just been a casual in there and it's absolutely, you know, chaotic and there's crap everywhere. I really make a point of then saying to the students, this is not how I wanted you to walk in. And I am really sorry that you had to do this. Let's all just band together and and get this cleaned up. Or I'll very quickly run around and do that in the five minutes before they come in. Uh, It just depends, but I'm kind of doing my very best with what I'm working with to make sure that when they walk into that classroom, it is the best environment that they could possibly have. Um, So consider the following to kind of set you up for success. The desks nice and tidy, the chairs tucked in. I can't even tell you the amount of times I've walked into somebody else's classroom or somebody's been in my classroom and the chairs are all out and just everything not being aligned is just, it's not about 
aesthetics. It's about the energy when you're coming into a room. So making sure those desks are nice and straight, the chairs are tucked in and not, you know, just, just here, there and everywhere. Anything on the floor, try to make it visually clear. So picking up little pieces of paper having all of the resources readily available for students. So what I do is I make sure that when they're coming into the room, depending on the context you're working in, I work in an alternative provision. So I keep all of their books with me in the class and I then place them out on the desks with their pens. Not all teachers are able to do that. I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that in a mainstream setting. But what I did do in a mainstream setting is the do nows, like the starter activities. I had them sitting on the desks with a pen or sitting on the desks, you know, waiting for them to come in or something projected up on the board for them to come into. So making sure that everything's readily available for students and just gives that vibe that it's all nice and controlled and I'm in control of that space. Again, not in control of them. I want to always make that really clear, but I am credible, I'm controlled, and I have the capacity to be able to hold space in that room. Uh, Again, leading on to like the the whole idea of projecting things up, all of the instructions that you're needing to give to them, all of the expectations for the upcoming activities, just make a really visual. So whether it's like an outcome list up on the boards, like a little map to their learning, the instructions for the lesson really clearly projected or having them there on the, on the table in front of them. And yeah, I think that covers that. I think that I've banged on enough about that, but again, it's all about communicating the expectations that you have of your students through the physical setup of that classroom. Number three, it's engagement. It's about the immediate, clear and consistent action that they're taking the second they come into that classroom. And I've touched on that in the last one as well in environments. After setting that energy, you've primed the environment. You need to make sure that when the students walk in, from the moment they walk in, there is something for them to engage in, something immediate, something purposeful, something that's going to capture their attention, something that establishes a routine. And they know that when they walk into Miss English, classroom, there's always going to be a do now up on the board. They know that when they walk into Miss English's classroom, that do now is achievable. It is going to be quick. It's going to be something that they can start immediately. They know that's the routine when they walk in. That's where we want to get to, because when we can make sure that students have a really clear understanding of the fact that Number one, they can do the work when they walk into my classroom. So it reduces that anxiety, but also the consistency of that will always be there. I know exactly what I need to do. There's no question. There's no doubt when I walk into that classroom, the English room, I know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be doing that. That's make sure that students have a lot of clarity. They have understanding. It's really consistent. It minimizes confusion. And all of those things, again, work on a proactive level with behavior because they mitigate any behaviors that are not any, I'm sure that there's still some that do pop up, but it mitigates a lot of the behaviors that we see from students dysregulation because we're inviting them into this regulated state, this regulated room where everything is nice, calm, consistent, and really clear for them. Consistency and clarity are the brain's best friend when it comes to regulation. That amygdala that amygdala signals fear and and the fight or flight response. It pumps out things when it doesn't understand what's happening, when it perceives things as a threat. And 
it can perceive things as a threat just if it's new and if it's not something that they understand. So being able to provide this level of consistency and clarity is going to go a very long way to making sure that the start of the lesson and then the lesson to come is nice and calm and um, just much more (laughs) relaxed than it could be. So consider the following, providing a really quick and achievable pen to paper starter activity for all students. I spoke before about how hard it is as a secondary teacher running from one space to the other. You might just want to have it on a piece of paper, like little slips. So you don't have to stuff around with technology at the start of the lesson. So what I used to always do is if I know that I'm going into a different classroom and I've got literally no time to set up because I'm going from one side of the school to the other and the bell's gone and I know the students are going to be waiting for me at the other end. I'll have all of them printed on a little slip of paper. They do now activity. And as I'm standing, remember the the start of the um, episode where I spoke about the energy, I'll stand at the, at the door, I'll invite them in, I'll welcome them in and I'll hand them that piece of paper as they're walking in. So I don't have to then stuff around for 10 minutes while the class you know, descends into chaos behind me while I'm stuffing around with, you know, the cables and projecting things up, they'll already be getting on with their do now activity. So making sure that we're really prepared to have that achievable pen to paper activity from the very start. And it has to be achievable. It can't be hinged on prior knowledge of a lesson because if they get that starter activity and it's not achievable for them, it's not going to be the starter activity you need it to be. You need a starter activity to be pen to paper, quiet, no questions. You need them just to be able to crack on with it and engage in it. Use a visible timer to indicate the duration of activities. That's always something that I do at the start of every lesson. You've got three minutes, timer up on the board, and that's really clear for students. They're not looking at the watch. They're not looking around. They're not thinking, oh, God, when is this going to end? They know exactly what to expect. And make it an expectation upon entering the room that this is the routine. This is what we do every single lesson. So if you feel that at the moment students are just walking into the classroom and sitting where they want or things are just really chaotic from the get-go. If things, you just feel like it's starting off on the wrong track every single lesson, it's really hard to engage them. It's really hard to get them settled at the very start of the lesson. It's really hard to get them to put pen to paper. Try these three things. So focusing on energy, our regulation, thinking about how we can establish that really calm, controlled environment thinking about the environment itself. What does it look like? What expectation am I presenting to students? Because expectations aren't just what we say at the start of a year. Expectations are through every single thing that we say, every single thing that we do, every single thing that we present to them that's reinforcing the expectations we have. So what is your current environment when they walk into it, saying to them and uh, presenting to them about the expectations? Is it chaotic itself? Is it messy? Is it, you know, nice and clear? Is it giving them a really nice start to the lesson? And then thinking about engagement, how are you from the very start of the lesson engaging them in something? Is it achievable? Is it something that's clear? Do they need further instructions or have you made that so clear they can crack on with it at the start? Is it timed? Do they know exactly what to expect? And every single one of these things that you do at the start of the lesson is going to set you up for a really amazing lesson to follow on from. You're not shooting yourself in the foot from the very start. You're giving yourself the best opportunity to be able to teach these young people in the best way you can. And the beauty of it is, those low level behaviors, you're going to see a massive reduction in them because you are 
regulating, you're proactively uh, de-escalating any of those fight, flight or freeze response, not any of them. Obviously, there's still going to be some that are there that pop up, but you're uh, already proactively de-escalating some of the feelings that these students have because you're creating a space that feels safe for them. And I always talk about the fact that people talk about the restorative approach as if it's something that you know, kids just get away with things. It's a really soft approach. No, a restorative approach has to be on point with the expectations, on point with the boundaries, because the boundaries are where these young people feel safe. And we need to give them those boundaries in ways that are loving, that are kind, that make sense, that are through our pedagogy, our teaching practice. We don't even have to do anything around behavior. It's around everything we do in our practice. It's not just about the behavior itself. Okay. If this is something actually that you want to read a bit more about or have like with you, uh, if you want to share it with your staff, I actually have a blog post on this. I've started to write blogs and I haven't got an actual blog page on my website yet. I'm still establishing that, but hopefully by the time you listen to this, it will be up. Uh, certainly in the next few weeks, it's going to be up. So I will put the link to that blog post in the show notes. And it's something that you can print out. It's something that you can email to your staff. It's something that if you've got a weekly professional learning you have to do with your faculty, it's something that you can maybe um, base your faculty staff meeting around and, you know, give them a bit of PL. I like to make things easy for everybody (laughs) because we've got enough to do. And I remember leading my own team back in the day and I was always looking for something to kind of really quickly support them with their classroom management. So this is something that you could possibly do with them. And if you liked this episode, if you got something from this episode, it would mean so much to me if you head over and just give me a review. I know that it's a bog. I know that it's something that everyone really wants to do, but you know, it's it's hard to find the time. It really would mean so much to me for you to leave me a review. It would help me get, you know, to more teachers. It helps me reach more teachers, which is just my mission. Okay, everybody, until next week, I hope you have a lovely week ahead and I will see you in the same place at the same time next week. Oh, oh, oh.